You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. Sometimes we are recorded, but at least once a week we're live, and you've caught the latter of that equation. It's Monday night at 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. It's Mission Log Live. I'm John Champion. And I'm Holly Amos, and tonight we'll be discussing Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 2, Anomaly, which is the second time that title has been used in the franchise. Oh, I love that movie uh, in its original French. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, different thing. Different thing. Okay, all right. Uh, Get your questions and comments ready. Give us a call. You know how to. Click on the Zoom meeting link or use the one tap on your smartphone or call us at 699-968-33. I think I know that by heart by now. I just tripped (laughs) over it. Oh, well. (laughs) Enter the meeting code and password and you will see the screen and we'll get you into the Earl Green Room. And then Earl will connect you to us. And I, I love the Earl Green Room so much. And It makes me uh, laugh every time I have to say it. It does. It's amusing. And uh, thank goodness that we have somebody named Earl Green. If he wasn't named Earl Green, we'd have to hire somebody with the last name Green so we could keep the Green Room going. How are you doing tonight, Holly? I'm good. How are you? How's your Thanksgiving? Uh, my Thanksgiving was good. I, I got to uh, I got to have multiple Friendsgivings and just sort of go from place to place and say hi, eat entirely too much food, and then regret it all uh, in the days after that. So, you know, not not the time of friends, just the overeating. The food, I regretted that part. Yeah, 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 yeah. How about yourself? Um, I, I had a Friendsgiving, too, or friends Excellent. here in L.A. It yeah. was great. Yeah, or- orphans in L.A., just like every character on Star Trek. Well, oh, they are orphans. They're not in L.A., though. Well, they're not in L.A., but I'm just saying that our our L.A. orphan lifestyle is very close to it makes us, you know, relate to everybody on Star Trek because they're all orphans, even if they have parents like Spock. um, Still, he's like an orphan because, you know, his parents, they've got issues. (laughs) <laughs> you just off your t-shirt i know Spock on my t-shirt oh, i love it off. yes yeah <laughs> all right well good to see you and it's good to see everybody who's joining us tonight to talk a little disco so we're going to say hi to folks who are hanging out in the chat so let's see oh i mean just right away number one on the list there's bob amos shocking <laughs> so glad to see Holly's dad say hi, everybody, to Holly. Uh, my mom's here too. She oh, your mom's here chat. too. Hi, mom. Excellent. Okay. Uh, there's Cosmo. There's Paul. Uh, Paul, right away, saying hi, Holly's dad, and hi, fellow mission loggers. Uh, there is Scott Palm. Good to see you, Scott Palm. There is Carlos. There is, oh, oh I love this. Uh, <laughs> Alan, Alan wants to know, was it Chocolat that I was uh, thinking of? No, no, <laughs> but also a good movie. Uh, so let's see Amelie here. Amelie is what you're thinking uh, of, right? I was thinking of yes, yes. Uh, there's Chris Riker. Uh, Chris, who, who brings up early on John, Holly, Earl flamethrowers yes it's in my notes (laughs) we'll talk about that uh there's scott uh oh other scott not the first scott but the other scott we got two pauls we got uh it's gonna be a full house tonight glad to see that there's rand there's dave so everybody i'm very glad to see you here and do click on that zoom meeting link give earl a shout and then he will connect you to us and we will talk about disco and flamethrowers i look forward to it you know what I'm talking about. Come on. I do know what you're talking okay. about. Okay. I was I was more focused on how much um seemingly just like rocks and dirt were on the bridge. Thank you. And I was like, where is that? Where is that coming from? Long-standing mission log joke is that every starship they fill the space between the ceiling and the with roof dirt? with yeah, with rocks and dirt. And that's just like that's they just do. So, you know, because, yeah. But Keiko's nursery above them. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. All right, gang. So uh, this week, well, Mission Log is back on Thursday. We are dropping episode 428, which is Penumbra. So, yeah, we're getting into that final, that home stretch of DS9 Season 7. Cannot wait as this unfolds. 
Mission Log Prodigy is off right now, but but people have asked, and we are indeed working on some special content to fill the gap. So stay tuned. Follow at ML underscore Prodigy on Twitter, and of course, uh, Mission Log Pod on Twitter to get all the updates on that. Prodigy itself comes back January 6th of next year. So, you know, counting down in a few weeks, we'll be there. And uh, let's see, we dropped two new episodes of Mission Log The Orville last week with excellent, excellent live chat premieres on YouTube with hosts Mike Richards and Jessica Lynn Verde. If you haven't done that, those go out. The times may change, but right now they've been going at about 9 a.m. Pacific at noon Eastern. And it's great because they're killing it. And people come in and chat and talk about the ideas and the morals, meanings, messages in those episodes. This Wednesday, we will be dropping the episode Krill. That is episode six. So I look forward to that. Uh, Mission Log Engage. We did not record last week because of the holiday, but we'll have new episodes posted very soon. So again, just look for our social media for an announcement there. So um, I guess... Here we go. If you'll indulge me, I will recap this week's episode, Amelie. Anomalie. <laughs> yes. Of Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 2. Last week was rough. Gravitational wave wiped out a space station and the entire planet. Quajon has, uh, well, understandably, left the crew of Discovery on edge and book despondent to the point of unresponsiveness. To brighten things up, Saru is back, and he is cooler and taller than ever. He's captain himself, but he uh, offers to be Captain Burnham's right-hand eyes. Her number one, you know, times are very difficult, and she can use all the help she can get because Starfleet has some intel on that anomaly that has caused so much destruction. It's a roving black hole about five light years across, it also is the name of the episode, so tip of the hat to the writer's room. It's dangerous, super dangerous, so dangerous that even President Tarina, whose homeworld Nivar isn't a member of the Federation, will offer resources to help unravel the scientific data. Problem is, Starfleet doesn't have enough data about the anomaly to do anything about it yet, which means the Discovery will have to get close to analyze it, dangerously close. It's so dangerous and so close that the Discovery really can't do the job, and it's far too complicated for a probe, not to mention its sensor readings would die out in no time, stepping up to the plate, and very insistent and very emotionally compromised his book. He can do it in his ship like nobody else can. Going along with him will be Stamets, well, uh, uh, hollow Stamets. I mean a hologram, not that Stamets is empty inside, though that's up for debate too. Stamets is not looking forward to the close quarters under high pressure with a guy who he barely gets along with anyway, and especially in this case where they'll be avoiding death by flying debris at every turn, and the pilot's mind is, again, understandably, elsewhere. For safety, Book's ship will be connected to Disco with a tether, but it's rough in there. Meanwhile, Disco is facing her own problems. Those gravity anomalies are washing over the ship every now and then and giving everyone a ride like they're on the highest drop of the Ghost Rider at Knott's Berry Farm. It's bad on the inside and the outside. They've got to break the tether, leaving Book on his own. That leaves Tilly, Adira, and the requisite brains on Disco to figure out the gravity problem, while the other brains figure out how to get Book and Holostamets back when they've collected enough data and avoided enough rocks. After a few more minutes, the data is collected, Stamets and Book have had a heart-to-heart, -heart, and Book insists that the engineer remove the holotransmitter and get back. But he can't. Because the data they've collected is there and there only. They have to get the ship back to Disco, no matter what. Book is distracted, though. Thoughts of his nephew, who died along with all the others on Quajan, lead him to the point of ignoring what's going on around him. Until Burnham opens a secure channel with him, just to talk, just to remind him that he couldn't have done anything to save them, and it's not his fault. But he can save so many now by getting back to Discovery safely. He just has to listen to her. What Burnham and her crew have figured out is the pattern of gravity waves emanating around the black hole. Book can use that to propel his ship 
back to disco if he just follows Burnham's lead and does like Coca-Cola in 1986 and catch the wave. After a failed attempt, the second one works. Back in safety and with Bookship badly damaged, Stamets has a moment to say thank you. While all this drama and daredevil flying was taking place, Dr. Culber has had a project of his own coming along, a body, a golem for Grey. You know, kind of like how Picard's consciousness was transferred into a new body. Yep, exactly like that. The prospect is exciting, but at the same time brings up some difficult emotions for Adira, whose recent experience on the space station was almost too close to what happened those years ago on the ship that was carrying them both. Grey is reassuring, though. Finally, time for Burnham in person to thank Book for his skills and bravery, and he admits that he wasn't ready for the task. He keeps thinking about his nephew, Leto, and how he thought he didn't need family, and now they're gone. The data he and Stamets collected was valuable, though, and already has been analyzed by Tilly and others. She breaks one interesting finding to Saru, that the path of the anomaly changes. It could go anywhere, at any time, and they have no way to predict it or understand why. Good luck, the end. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. I guess that means it'll be continued until next week and then the next week and then the next week because that's amazing. How serialized storytelling works. Yeah. So, all right, let's talk about the episode. I, you know, you and I both take some notes. And by the way, now is the perfect time, folks. So click on that Zoom meeting link, pick up the phone, give us a call, talk to Earl. Earl will connect you to us because really this show is about you. This is your opportunity to chime in with what you think. Good, bad, and different. How do you feel about it? Let us know. Let's talk. But until we take that first caller, let's you and I chat a little bit because uh, there are many things that I liked about this episode. Of course, I wasn't here last week with you and Norman, so I caught up on both leading into this one. And um, first of all, one of the things one of the things that I thought right away is that uh, you know the Kelpians uh, from last week and with Saru showing off the meaning of that uh, that symbol that mm-hmm. that entity wears, you know, I was very impressed that you know Kelpians are just hanging out with the species that used to like you know torture harvest them them yes yeah uh, yeah and I thought that was very reminiscent of like. Okay, in next gen, you show Klingons who are now working alongside by side with Starfleet. It shows that over time things have gotten better. And I do like the fact that in Discovery, over time, things have gotten better, at least on that planet, in that corner of the universe. They have this very seemingly sophisticated way of communicating and working together. So I thought that was one one nice little moment. Well, it's heartwarming, isn't it? It is. It's heartwarming to look out your window and see terrifying black specters that used to eat you. <laughs> but, now, but now they just hang out and, and like to talk about their problems with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm glad Saru's back, though. Um, I, well, okay, let, let's talk about that. I'm very glad Saru's back. Everybody loves Saru. I, I love Saru. I think he's awesome. And well, Let's be fair. I, I just love Doug, Doug Jones. Well, yeah, Doug Jones is great. I know and there's it, people with loud vehicles. I'm sorry if you can hear that. That's okay. My <laughs> invite them in. Invite them in. No problem. They're, just, they're excited about Discovery. They're out there honking their horns. Says honk if you love Discovery, and that's what they're doing. Um, I Let's talk about that, because at the end of last season, I really liked the idea that Saru is going back to the Kelpian homeworld with Sakal, and they're going to work through some things. And I loved the moment that we got with Sukal in that last episode. It was it, like it was almost charming. Him saying, "Like, well, my heart's here. Your heart can be here and there as well." And it was this, it, you know, giving him permission to to go off and join the crew of Discovery. I wanted more of them, and I wanted Saru to spend more time in his own world. Only- yeah, I would have liked to see. I mean, maybe we'll see it later in the season, but I would have liked to have seen that dynamic. And more. well, and it's only because I feel like, and it's not just Star Trek, but dramatically, this happens on a lot of shows. You get rid of a major character, and and it's shocking and it's surprising. Wait, what's going to happen to that character? But then it's like, nope. One episode later, they're back. And I sort of, I, I want, 
I want these things to have resonance and meaning when you kind of throw a curveball at the audience like that, you know? I mean, sure, but you can't be surprised. Like, no one dislikes Saru. Like, oh, he's no. not a tr- problematic character. Everybody yeah. loves Doug Jones. Like, there's no way that they were just going to, you know, send him back and that we wouldn't see him for the entire season. Like, I understand what you're saying, but the, I, I mean, I knew at the end of last season, like, they're going to have him back by the second episode. Uh, well, okay. See, and, and I, maybe if they had taken three. Or maybe if they had taken four. Or you just catch up with him. He's doing his thing. And then he shows up, you know, when uh, when the time is right. By the do way, you we, feel like it was a good excuse to bring him back? Like this anomaly is threatening everybody. Uh, you know what? Tell me, is it a little bit like Spock going through Kolinar and just going, uh, no, there's something else out there that's competing for my attention. I need to go do that. That got mentioned last week on the show. It did? Oh, yeah. look at that. <laughs> like I'm part of the same show. Uh, yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, I, I dare not wait any longer because we have our first callers, plural, standing by here. Uh, one is Cosmo and the other holding up the Enterprise is James. How you doing tonight, guys? Welcome. Doing well. How are you, James? Good. Good. Hi, hey. The Enterprise, but there's Guinan. <laughs> um, so first comment about the episode. Um, one of my least favorite writing moments of the whole four seasons of Discovery so far, hmm. when um, Tilly and Adira are trying to figure out what the problem is, and they figure it out, and instead of her just yelling, brace for impact, she takes the time to run over and say a cute line of, Hey, we've got good news and bad news. The good news is I figured it out. The bad news is it's happening in two seconds. Yeah. You waste, I, I counted, you wasted four long seconds to say that cute line. Uh, instead of people could have actually braced instead of Michael saying, everybody brace. And then it hits and everybody goes flying in the air. We're lucky nobody died. And yeah. so I, I'm not going to hold it against Tilly. It, it's a writer's choice, but that, was like the first thing in a while that's really grinding my gears and uh going for the cute lines that come on tilly i know you're quirky but just say it run onto the bridge and yell brace for impact yeah uh, yeah and she was already on the bridge wasn't she or she was in the background or whatever or communicator yeah you know uh six seconds coming but no it's coming in two seconds so that 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 bugged me um and but john that's a great point about Saru and that's just part of the problem with these short 13 episode seasons if this was a a full 26 uh, episode uh, season like in traditional Trek you could have taken the time to have Saru be on his planet for four episodes and it's just everything's so crammed and nonstop because we got the, the 13 episode format. It's sort of a weird yin yang with a with a series like this because you know modern TV seasons are relatively short compared to what we grew up on. They're thirteen episodes now as opposed to twenty six, <laughs> and you feel like oh okay, that's not a lot of time to tell the story. But when you're telling one story, it's uh, it then you feel like uh, okay well are we actually spending the best time with these characters with the plot points that need to be made and uh, you know we got an interesting email that was very concerned saying it feels like this is all plot and and not you know not character driven in the way that I want to be invested in the characters and that might be something that we address later maybe even after the season is done um but it's such a minor thing with Saru, and actually, very good point. You know, Carlos in the chat here says, "Well, he was gone for months," and you're right. You know, in story time, he was gone for months. In audience viewership time, yeah, we have the gap between season three and season four, but we're only seeing like, okay, here's the last episode of the season, and now the first couple of episodes of the season, and he's back. I, I want that absence to uh, to have a little more meaning, maybe than just one, you know, a, a few lines. But again, that's sort of a minor quibble. It's just something that kind of stuck out to me. And Cosmo, I do not disagree with you at all about <laughs> Tilly doing the cute line because here's a, I, that first one was earned. That first one, mm-hmm. nobody knew it was going to happen. And man, that effect was so cool. I'm shocked. Well, I'm not shocked because 
you know, it's taken this long for special effects to get that good, you know. Uh, but it's the kind of thing you would expect to see happen on a starship from time and to correct time. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the only other time I've ever seen a gravity malfunction in Trek is maybe Star Trek VI. Uh, ooh, I think yeah. you're right. I can't think you're of right. any other circumstances. So I, I love that they did that because you'd think yeah. in space battles that would happen frequently. So that uh, I really give them props for doing that. That was cool. And how, how violent and jarring it was. Yeah. And it wasn't just them floating peacefully like in Star Trek VI. It was a, a, like a car crash. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Well, how would they have done it before special <laughs> right. effects right. now? Yeah. yeah. A lot of strings. <laughs> lot yeah. of, you know, and it would have been very clunky. Yeah. Be like marionettes. Right, right. But but no, I and and Cosmo, you're pointing out something that I feel like um it it is a writer's stylistic thing that uh may be part of Discovery specifically, maybe part of other shows kind of in the modern era in general, which is that there are a lot of chattery moments that are meant to sort of elucidate a character, but then it, it to me, a moment like that, it takes me out of the reality of the situation. Mm-hmm. The reality of the situation mm-hmm. is you're on a ship that's in danger. You have to impart important information. You need to do it quickly and professionally. Then, you know, then after the moment, then you take time to kind of regroup, recuperate. But Discovery plays with that, and especially with a quirky character like Tilly, who, again, we all love. Tilly's awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, her delivery is fantastic. But a moment like that just makes you go like, oh, where the writers are sort of patting themselves on the back for something clever. Yeah. And, and, and I, I got that. It's very Avenger-y, kind of Joss Whedon quippy. And Bingo. Bingo. Uh, especially in the, the opening scene of episode one, where it was Book and Michael under fire. And th- that just struck me very Avengery Tony Stark kind of quipping. Um, so yeah, it's just a stylistic choice, I think. And yep. uh, uh, luckily it doesn't take me out too often, but that one really did. I yeah. thought of another gravity time. Oh, what, oh, what is it? Melora. Oh, Melora. Okay. But okay. I mean, they weren't, they weren't in like battle. Like yeah. she, she did that on purpose. And I, we saw some in, in, in enterprise too. Um, the oh, well, showers. Well. Well, wait, and uh, think about Travis Mayweather sitting up on the ceiling. Yeah. yeah, love that. So it's been done, but not not in like battle, and not that not really that violently, um, and not like they the, all of those they basically did it like they. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't a shock or a surprise. Like they're the right. ones that like turned it on and off. Right. Right. But it, it was super cool. I love the way that effect looked. I, I love that moment of disorientation. And the fact that, well, when they all, you know, came slamming back down, people were hurt. It, yeah, you know, no, that never, that's not happened, really. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Everybody's just floating and it's nice. Right. No, all the other times. They were hurt and they needed to deal with it. And that was something that I, I like about attention to detail in a show like this is that it's an ongoing thing. Culber's running around helping people. He's still working on Tilly. He, you know, there's still stuff to be done at every moment. So I think that shows <laughs> a, a kind of sophistication there. I mean, but it was, again, it was, it was, it was great. I, yeah. I, what do you think that that felt would feel like though? Well, like, like you said that it feels like, like you think that it would Ghost feel like a roller coaster. Rider. Yeah, like like riding Ghost Rider at knots. And I like that you made that, that yeah. comparison because I know what you're talking about. Yeah, because that damn thing is relentless, and you just you feel like you're gonna die. Uh, what does know, everybody in the oh, audience know what you're talking James about? James to go on Ghost Rider. It's he's great. Going on a couple uh, of big kid roller coasters, but uh, that's the next one he's gonna. But not Supreme Scream, right, James? No way. No way. <laughs> for, for anybody not from california <laughs> well we're just a a terrifying non-stop out of control roller coaster it's not like the yeah. the nice like you know oh we'll take a braking turn here and we'll be on this nice steel tube track like no 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 it's wood they took out the braking turns and then they just don't stop and every few seconds you feel like well it has to end now no no it's not going to end now we're just going to torture you for you know at least another two minutes before we let you catch your breath again. Cosmo, any other comments tonight? Uh, it was nice to see Discovery's comms officer. I don't know the character's name, but our comms officer is back after oh, he, there was one passing line. He was interning on another ship, I think, in episode one. Yes. Uh, so it was nice to see him back. I like him, even though he's just basically a background character. He's a nice presence. Got yeah. a cool voice. Yeah. 
He does. That's very true. Yeah. Hey, uh, thank you so much for calling in tonight. And uh, thank you, James, who has been one of the standout callers in Mission Log Prodigy. Uh, he's been awesome. And I cannot wait until that show comes back and we get to hear you again. Good to see you guys. <laughs> the vlog of Prosper. Take care, guys. Good night. Hey, uh, Holly, before we move on to our next caller, by the way, I didn't get to ask you a very important question at the top of the show. Uh, what are you drinking tonight? Well, um, I'm going hardcore. I'm drinking Basil Hayden. Oh, nice. All right. Yeah, that- I don't know. Something possessed me, and it's um, it's in a Star Trek glass, and there used to be. Not anymore because it melted, but it had a Borg cube in it. Oh, how nice. A Borg ice cube. Very cool. Okay, just had to make sure that beats my water. So, uh, <laughs> good job. All right. Let's uh, say hi to our next caller, who is calling from the lower decks as he does. It is Alan. How are you doing tonight, Alan? Good to see you. I'm doing good, John. Holly, I'm also uh, on, on the liquid. God, you guys <laughs> are so boring. Ah, you know, you know, just catching up from a long weekend. What can I say? But yeah, oh, that's fair. Yeah. Indeed. Oh, by the way, uh, Chris, Chris Riker says John's John has PRCST. Yes, that that is that is my trauma is the post roller coaster uh, trauma. So, yeah. But, but that said, I'll do it again. OK, so you're uh, always down for a roller coaster. I've been with you to, to not not all of them. I mean, look, in credit coaster, I believe we've done. But, oh, uh, snap. Yeah. yeah I got, okay. Yeah, you've got it too. <laughs> yes. Recently, that's a great. That's a nice smooth ride. Okay. Enough yeah. About, yeah. Enough about those. But uh, Alan, <laughs> what is on your mind tonight about oh. about the show? Um. Well, I just it it's sort of. I don't know. Maybe this is just me, but I feel like this was kind of a little bit of. Um. Uh, well, not not so much a uh, a read a redo of last week's episode, but it felt like there were a lot of similar themes, but maybe I, I kind of felt like they might've been handled a little bit better here. Like we got, uh, you know, much like uh, our, our new president talking down commander Nollis last week. uh, We get, uh, we get Burnham uh, giving book the, the hostage negotiator speech and uh sort of like yeah you know you want to get back here right everything will be okay just you know come on back to us buddy everything will be good you know and i i i guess maybe that proves that she learned something so that's that's good um but yeah just sort of like a lot of um maybe even similar emotional beats um but i i i do kind of uh I, i do kind of feel like maybe it was a little bit better or or it felt a little bit better that it was, you know, our cast and, or one of our cast uh, in particular in peril rather than a uh, floating uh, end table in space. <laughs> Very, yeah, good point. Well, let, let me ask you this. Do, do you feel yeah. like, um, cause it, this is uh, again, it's like a stylistic thing that I was having trouble connecting with in this episode. Um, I'm first of all, I, I'm intrigued by the idea. And uh, uh, thank you to Earl, who, when I was talking to earlier, he pointed out when they <laughs> arrived at the anomaly, the very John Barry esque uh, soundtrack. And, and I went back and listened to it. I was like, okay. oh, yeah, that is very John Barry. Like, oh, I didn't even make hole. that connection. Yeah, go, wow. go back oh, at, yeah. at the moment when Discovery arrives, when, when they, they do the spore drive jump and it just arrives, they take it all in on screen and it's like oh yeah this this is if not on purpose it sounds really close to on purpose that it was like that so uh, i'm enjoying the premise here i'm enjoying the idea of like what they have to do to solve a problem i feel like you pointed out something where you have to have the talk and yeah you had the talk in the last episode you had the talk here but i wrote down more of those talks where you had um Okay, you you have Book versus Stamets, you have Burnham versus Stamets, you have uh, Adira versus Tilly, you have Book versus Burnham, and it's not necessarily that they're always um, antagonistic, but they have to sort of stop what they're doing to have this out, to have this discussion, and then you get to carry on with the task at hand. It's a lot of 
sometimes that they have talks like that too, like heart to hearts that are sort of misplaced in like what's going on. There was a really good example last week when, when she, uh, Burnham is out in space, like you're floating. Oh, yeah. You just got hit. And that she like wants so to fun. talk to the, she wants to talk to the president. And, and I was like, is, is this yeah. the time to do that? Yeah. She basically says, Oh, did you make that up about the, did you the lie? Like, <laughs> does it yeah. matter? And I'm like, you are, you just got creamed in space and you're just floating around in your space suit and you're, <laughs> what are you doing? That's the discussion yeah. that I'm waiting to happen after the fact. And I wrote down uh, one of my favorite moments of how that is handled elsewhere in Star Trek. And, it, and it's just four words. It's stop competing with me. And it, it, it's this mm. great. Thank you. <laughs> I see Holly's reaction. And it, it's just a, a moment of Decker and Kirk on the refit enterprise and it's all these little moments where where Decker has subtly kind of let his voice be known and then sometimes not so subtly but instead of having the conversation there in the middle of a task in the middle of a crisis or a moment Kirk takes him away takes him somewhere else to have that right. conversation and I appreciate that moment because it is very professional and it doesn't distract from the reality of the crisis moment, that's where I feel like, and again, it might just be a stylistic thing, particular writers, whatever. I feel like those are places where this is getting jumbled up. I think yeah. you, can, you can have it maybe once in an episode, but when you have it three or four or five times, I just feel like, I don't know where to focus my attention now. <laughs> you know. Um, so. I think this episode in terms of notes, I wrote down like the most quotes I've ever written down. Oh, okay. There was was quite a few quotes that spoke to me and they're all sort of along the same lines. And I feel like they're speaking to me because, you know, I've, I've sort of been experiencing what they're talking about over the past year and a half. Um, But there, there's still a level of them dealing with grief right now because they're, you know, 900 years or whatever into the future and everybody that they've ever known, aside from the people that they're currently with are gone. Um, and they've had to come to terms with that. And Tilly asking for help at the end was, was great because that's, you know, a nod to like, it's okay to ask for help if you need help. Um, but Saru had two really great lines. Um, one being if loss has taught us anything, it's that each of us must sit with pain in our own way. Mm which is a lovely line. He also said um, later how we choose to spend our moments in the short time we have matters. And then Colbert at some point said, grief is grief and everyone moves through it differently. Um, And obviously like, they're not just talking about the fact that they're, you know, removed from their, from their own timeline, but that, you know, Quajan was blown up and all those people are, are gone now. And book is having to deal with that. It being his home world, but you know, having, having lost one of my closest friends last year, like those lines kind of spoke to me. I, I, I think Saru had the best lines in this and those, and it, it's partly due to, I think Doug's great skill and Doug's delivery humanity. is so good. He never seems disingenuous. Yeah. And when, here you have the non-human character bringing this great deal of humanity to the role in the great mm. Star Trek tradition, you know, Spock, Data, etc. cetera. Uh, but they're also... That's what those, we do. Well, exactly. But those moments feel like they're well-placed. You know, it doesn't take away from kind of the, the energy of a scene to have him in there to deliver that. And, yeah. and I think that's what Saru has become very good at. And the writers are very good at putting those words into Saru's mouth. Yeah, I think really realistically, and, you know, I, I, I do, I do agree with you that some of, some of the conversation bits feel out of place, but I also like, I do appreciate the fact that, that, as you say, Holly, that we're getting sort of this sort of deep uh, uh, connection to it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to have help. It's okay to have basically someone who was once your boss be like your your mentor or your you know your 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 advisor now in Saru with Burnham. It's okay to fertility to to uh, go to Culber and. By God, I know we all love Saru and Doug Jones is great, but man, Culber is like got to be 
you know, my second favorite character on this show because he's always he's always there. He's always saying the right thing. He's super awesome. But yeah, just to be like, yeah, let's let's have that talk. And, you know, it may be a little bit awkward now, but we're, you know, it's important to ask for help if you don't know what you're going through and what you're doing. And, you know, um, just the fact that everyone's there and, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, he didn't really have much of a choice, but hollow Stamets stuck it out with book and was talking him through it. Book had some revelations too, you know, in terms of him admitting at the end that like, this was not something emotionally that he was ready for to burn him. Um, But also that his whole breakdown where she basically has to go in into that private channel is he's like, I failed them. I failed them. What I was thinking about in that moment and anybody who, I don't know if anybody's read this book, but I I read a book by a woman named Brene Brown. Maybe I've brought this up before, but she's a Mm. shame researcher um phd crazy that's a thing like phd shame researcher for uh and and people carry their shame differently between between the genders so like for women it's motherhood and our physical uh, bodies obviously like that's a problem and even motherhood in terms of even if you don't want to become a mom like you still sort of get shamed for that in our society so like that's how women carry their shame for men it's failure failure in anything so the fact that book first of all was like i failed them was very like male centric mm-hmm. according to like the science of her studies Brene brown um but him admitting at the end that like he wasn't ready for this huge like that's a big deal oh. actually yeah <laughs> interesting yeah. uh by the way you, you're getting uh uh kudos there uh carla says Brene brown is awesome and great. Uh, i saw i saw her speak live a couple of years ago and was blown away she's fantastic and, and i believe carlos also and a few people backing up what you're saying alan that uh culber is becoming uh his favorite character on the show so and there's a lot of people saying yes culber is awesome and uh i have to agree there i mean there, there's something about culber being able to again humanize humanize the situation on this show and just sort of the the care and good humor about helping gray with the uh the avatar the the golem whatever we're going to call it golem. Uh, the, the body yes um and those are moments that i think are even more necessary in a show like discovery because discovery keeps amping up what the you know universe ending threat is in every single scene so those those breaths you get to take when you just have a simple moment are really necessary so you need a guy like saru you need a guy like culber to be able to do that not not saying that you know the emotional lives of the other characters are less important uh but they get so woven into the plot that then you you sort of need to take a step back and just have like a little more relatable moment uh from time to time um, Alan, I'm going to say thank you because yeah. we're, we're past the uh, the mid show here, and uh, we need to say a couple of words and then welcome on our next callers. So, Hello. take care, and we'll see you soon. Okay. Fantastic! Uh, it was great talking with you guys again, and let's all be our own uh, hollow buddies for each other as as long as we need to. Oh, I love that! Yes, <laughs> long and prosper, hollow buddies, yep. man. That's just what we are. All right, take care. Have a good one, guys. Take care. Hey, uh, before we get to our next callers, because I know we have uh, John and we have Kim standing by, um, quick couple of words here. Uh, we'll get to Patreon in a moment, of course. But Holly, is there one gift for Christmas that you feel like it's not Christmas unless you get that one gift? Um, no, but I can't. Sp- my father needs a fruitcake. A fruitcake. Okay, fruitcake is a good answer. That is an acceptable answer. My answer is socks. Uh, It's not Christmas unless there are socks involved somehow. And I was going to give a shout out here to uh, our friends over at cufflinks.com who have sent us Star Trek socks. Yes, there they are. There they are. And by the way, wearing my show socks. Here you go. Oh my God. Here it is. Uh God, he was talking about this, you guys. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I got uh, I got show socks on tonight. So uh, 
I had to do that. So thank you to our friends over at cufflinks.com. We talked about them this time last year because they have Star Trek pins, cufflinks, tie tacks, all kinds of accessories. Now it's the Star Trek socks. Go check them out, cufflinks.com. We do thank them for their support. Also, we thank you, all of you for your support, uh, for watching the show, sharing the show, listening to us, and those of you who have joined us over at Patreon, patreon.com slash mission log. We have a very active community there and on our Discord, which is exclusive to our Patreon supporters. Not only do you get swag, you get exclusives like early releases of the shows, but that Discord has become Absolutely my favorite positive community online. We're talking about everything from Trek to all kinds of science fiction, science fact, and, uh, you know, what, what we're eating, because that's what I like to talk about. So go check us out at patreon.com slash mission log, and we will see you there. All right. Back to the show and back to a caller who we welcome very often and love his insights. John Arminio, welcome. John to the Arminio community. from the Blue Room. Yeah. Um, How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing all right. Good to see you. And, uh, well, what is on your mind tonight about I, disco? I guess um, I'm curious as to what your thoughts on these sort of uh, command musical chairs we have going with the first officer and captain's positions on the show um because you know star trek has a history of sort of stagnated uh ranks you know yeah, this is definitely like, the opposite of Riker, yeah. right so yeah most famously I, I guess or most memed like harry kim being an ensign for a decade data being a lieutenant commander for a decade <laughs> uh, but but now you know after like the abrams movies where kirk went from cadet to captain in about an hour. Um, <laughs> it seems like rank doesn't matter, you know. Like me, we'll just, first officer. Yeah, we'll, we'll, <laughs> you know, I'll be a captain this week, and next week I'll be a first officer, and, you know, whatever. Um, and so, it, well, for can, me, can especially... I, can I interject here, though? Sure. How many people in command still are still alive, though? Yeah, there's been a lot of deaths in Discovery. Well, all of their ships exploded. Yeah. Like, you know, everything was rendered inert and all of the ship, assuming that there were, you know, crews with their captain and their number one officer on board, all of those mm-hmm. ships that were just. So, I mean, I yeah. understand your point, but also like there's probably not a lot of people to fill those roles right now. Yeah. And probably the people on Discovery are more experienced than a lot of the people in this time of Starfleet. Right, because we're just now start. I mean, they just you yeah. know revamped the academy, and so they have all of these new cadets. But this is what the first class since the yeah. burn. Yeah, yeah. I but- guess it it is also kind of frustrating for me because you know, we were, we were talking about um, you know the sort of emotional maturity of a character like Saru and the humanity he brings uh, to to the show, and then somebody who's still very much working her own stuff out like Burnham being then in the, in the captain's chair and it just it's I don't feel like I trust her with <laughs> with with authority so yeah. I'm just I'm just not sure like well, I, I feel rudderless at this point with with discovery is what I'm saying Okay, so maybe that also kind of ties back into what I was saying earlier, is that, like, okay, you take somebody who has this calm and assured uh, humanity, like Saru, and you go, yeah, he does have great qualities that would make him a good uh, commanding officer of a ship. But then you get rid of him, and then you bring him back and you throw him into the number one position. And maybe there are a couple of things that I would like to have seen along the way, which is how does Starfleet rebuild itself? Mm-hmm. What are the challenges there? And then when you have a guy like Saru, okay, he he did very well as captain. He could operate very well on his own ship. Could that not also be a plot line that we follow? They can certainly dovetail. They can certainly overlap. They can complement each other. But it feels just a little uh, awkward to then plug him immediately into the subordinate position to Burnham. And like you said, Burnham maybe still has some things to work out. Um, I, yeah, I, 
it's hard to get a grasp of how all of that relates to Starfleet of the 29th century when all that we've gotten so far of Starfleet of the 29th century is Discovery shows up and has to save everybody after the burn, and now Discovery has to go save everybody from the the black hole that is, you know, eating planets as opposed to like what is what happens in the downtime here and not necessarily downtime but what happens when you actually have to build up from from where we got left off because everything is different now not only that we didn't really get a good chance to experience like we were talking about the loss that the discovery crew went for being ripped out of their own uh time their own century what really are they going through? It's not just the loss. It's also this weird acclimation to the future where they are. And I understand, you know, it is a show. There is a plot. There is a story that has to be dealt with. But there are also realities around that. They seem to have acclimated pretty quickly, pretty well. Um, and now it's sort of on to the next adventure. So it, 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 there's, a, it, there's a strange ask of the audience, I think. Yeah. So many orphan Thanksgivings. Yeah. Well, yes, yeah, so many. <laughs> because, you know, we're seeing the grief of the show processed through book, and now everybody is sort of looking at him like, hey, man, you got to get it together so we can accomplish the mission. Meanwhile, everybody on Discovery has lost just as much as he had. Everyone on Discovery has lost their whole world except each other. And for some reason, they're all like, cool with with that that you know unfathomable loss are they cool though because i mean tilly's asking for help she feels Mm -hmm. she said that she fell off so like this is it could be that all these but she's at least healthy enough to ask for help right like she's which is a great point yeah so she's very at least self-aware in the in when she needs to ask for help well book he's not even processing how damaged he is yet yeah. Well, I mean, he's starting to admitting yeah. that he wasn't ready for that was uh, was a step. But mm. um, I, I kind of well, I, so I'm going to compare again, which maybe isn't always the most fair thing to do. But, you know, I, I always talk about how much I loved the fact that Best of Both Worlds was followed by family. Yeah. Because here you had the big action set piece, you had this necessary piece of plot, but then you had the even more necessary moment for the character to acclimate and for us to actually process what had happened. If you had just gone from the end of Best of Both Worlds immediately into the next adventure, it would have felt very strange and uh, kind of cartoonish, you know, but but there, there was something really smart about giving the audience that moment to breathe. Uh, now, that's such a good episode, and it's the yeah. only episode without data in it. Oh, yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I want to hate it. <laughs> uh, but you can't. You can't. It's so good. But they also had the luxury of that being season four after you're doing three 26 episode seasons. Right. So you you have this room to do it. And maybe they just feel like they don't have the room to do that here. Well, yeah, they don't. They don't have the time. Like, hmm. I imagine these writers coming up with the basic storyline of the entire season. And then they have to add in all of these, you know, side things. And then at some point it's going to be like, that's too much for 10 hour long episodes. You're going to have to cram all that in. That's tough. But I feel like we're getting some side effects or or some, you know, negative consequences of that cramming when we're getting emotional growth via these quips that we were talking about. Yes. Like, you know, deer and gray, like it's nice that they're still, like a function and couple, but their conversations are like just real cutesy. Yeah. When you're talking to the the ghost of your dead significant other and while you're trying to, you know, create a new body for this person that you, that you love. Like it seems like they're pretty okay with it and like it, it, it sort of well, was breaking the old rule of show don't tell. Yeah. And and there's a lot of tell here because the show is always something else. You know what I what I also feel like, and maybe I actually miss this. the ep- The episodes that we were used to during, you know, TNG is a is a great example. Um, they were centric to a character, and then there was always like a B plot, right? So, yeah. like, this is a Data episode, this is a Picard episode, this is a Riker episode, and like that's how we got character development. And I don't feel like any of Discovery's episodes have been centric to any character mm. 
really. I mean, you could argue maybe Burnham, but she's, you know, the lead of the the series. But everybody else, like, I just, I don't feel like that they're given the time of day. And maybe it's because the storytelling has changed. Yeah, it feels like sometimes Colbert is the one who's telling the characters what their character development is. Yeah. Because he's one of the only emotionally mature characters. So he's like, here's what you're going through right now at this moment. Right, right, right. By the way, I want to share a funny comment. Oh, and uh, hi to Mike Richards, who uh, is in the chat. Hi, Mike. Uh, everybody, again, go to uh, podcast.roddenberry.com. Pick up all the shows, including Mission Log Prodigy and Mission Log The Orville. And uh, Rand, Rand dropping in with a, a comment here says, I agree, Burnham doesn't make me feel the confidence the way other captains throughout Trek. Maybe it's because I'm finally watching a captain younger than me for the first time, and I need to get over that. The same. Oh, it's a get-off my- my lawn thing wait this he says the same thing with my dentist this year (laughs) (laughs) i love that i but you know what that that is a fair point i mean i look i i like i like shows that make bold choices and i for the most part i really like this cast and i like that there is a groundedness to this cast um unfortunately a lot of times again this plot just sort of overshadows that so you have to force feed these character growth moments as we're describing here. And I think, you know, if I see, if I see Burnham have a Janeway moment where, you know, you think about the maturity that Catherine Janeway has as just a kick-ass commander who can make really tough decisions and kind of, you know, wipe her hands of it <coughs> to fix. <coughs> um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I brought him up. I did. I did. Um, but, you know, that that's the kind of thing that, that, that gives the audience a chance to just sort of like take in the moment, deal with it, absorb it, talk about it later, as opposed to, you know, telegraphing to the audience everything that is going on. Again, it's a, an example of show don't tell. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm, I feel like I'm waiting because we have spent a good amount of time on Burnham specifically. I'm waiting to feel like, okay, is she really confident in the role? And then therefore, are we all confident in the role that she has as commander of this ship? More confident yeah. in Saru. Yeah, you know... I, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right, yeah. I'm just thinking of, like, you know, the most emotionally invested I get in these episodes or when, you know, we can really focus on a specific character, like a protagonist or antagonist relationship, like... You know, I've rarely hated a character in Star Trek more than Fajo in the most toys, right? <laughs> and he's such a small-time character compared to, like, these universe-ending plots that Discovery is always invested in. Hmm. So, you know, so it, maybe it's not a problem. Of, yeah, it's certainly not a problem of the cast because they're all great. So it seems just, you know, endemic to this sort of storytelling where we have to you know save the universe every year and and tell it in 13 parts instead of like you know let's have a cohesive character development story here by the way speaking of kivas fajo and your uh deep hatred of him i'm I'm hoping to see a uh you know like a, a a moment where for you, it's Fajo. For me, it's Finnegan with their wrists tied together and knives, and they yeah. just have to fight it out. That'll, sure. That's that's the episode I'm waiting for. Um, nice. Don, we got one more call to go to. Uh, any uh, last comments before we move on? No, uh, just that it's always great to see everybody on Monday, so I really appreciate you doing this. So, Likewise, my friend. Cheers, and until uh, next time. Thank you. All right. Take care. And uh, wrapping up the show tonight, we are happy to welcome Kim, who is calling in, uh, I believe, from Starfleet, Starfleet Head- Headquarters. Nice. Yes. Yes. Kim, welcome to the show. Absolutely. Hey, John. It's been hey. a long time, right? It has been. It has. How are you doing? I'm good. It's been a while. And, and hi, Polly. Hi. First time talking to you. Been a while. Um, it's yeah. good to be back on. It's good to have you here. Welcome. And uh, and what are you thinking so far of Discovery in tonight's episode? Um, well, I've got to say there was a huge amount of emotional uh, baggage across the board on all the characters. Mm-hmm. I mean, from Book to Burnham to Tilly to, I mean, uh, Stamets, all of them. 
it was huge and it was it, it was like super packed. So I don't know if anybody else kind of saw that, but there was a lot in this episode and it was a lot to take in. I had to like watch it two or three times to actually grasp everybody's, you know, what, what was going on. Yeah. Just, just to get a handle on it. Well, I, you know, that kind of goes back to what we were saying at the top of the show tonight, which is you, you have this very strange thing of you, you think, okay, it's one story to propel us through an entire season's worth of shows. And yet that time feels really short. So you're just cramming these character moments all in. And yeah, I'm the same way, obviously, for, for our purposes here. I'm watching episodes over and over and over again and trying to key in on the moments that either really speak to me or maybe really don't speak to me and those become the fodder for the conversation. You know, so I'm, I'm wondering, you know, for you, were there moments particularly that you felt like, oh, they nailed it. This is what I'm here for. Or were there moments that you felt like, ooh, please go back to the drawing board? Um, I found no, I- Stamets pretty cringy. Sorry. You found Stamets cringy? Yeah. Uh, his, his admission as to why he hadn't spoken to Booker for so uh, for so long, like mm-hmm. I just, uh, I'm like, is that valid? Is that a valid reason? And that seems fairly petty. But also, it goes back to he failed to do something, and again, failure, shame. Anyways, well, we'll see. Is it that thing as we are doing here and putting on our writer hats? And I apologize to whoever doesn't want us to put on our writer hats, um, but we're doing it anyway. Is that the kind of thing where you want to see Stamets step up to the job, do the job with book and and be kick ass and supportive? And then if he's going to have a problem with that, that problem is handled later or it's handled outside of that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because the, 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 the reaction, the emotional reality for the character, I think we have to accept. You know, he feels guilt. He feels all these other things. But it's like, okay, you're, you're faced with this moment. You, you do the job. You do Let's it. Let's talk about this later. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Right. But we're also missing the piece where, uh, where is the angst between Stamets and, and uh, Burnham, right? Mm. You know, I'm thinking maybe there's going to be a book insert that covers those five months that yeah. get over it because yeah. all of a sudden we only have this thing like you know, shove my shove me on an airlock, okay? So yeah. why are they okay? You know? Yeah, yeah that that is uh, that that is a bit to deal with that you think would take a little more to get over than just. You know, as John was saying, a few quips, you know, just a, a few lines here and there. Yeah. Holly, you looked like you're about to say something. No, my dad looked like he keyboard smashed in the chat. And I'm <laughs> what's happening? <laughs> He's just like backslash HJK. Maybe that was a comment. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, that might have been. That might this have been. is what I think of the show. <laughs> yes. Keyboard smash. Uh, Dave in the chat says, uh, I think the gap between, the, and this is very much to your point, Kim, I think the gap between season three and four, supposedly five months in universe, has created a bit yeah. of a vacuum in the story. Hopefully they fill that down the road. Um, I, I expect them to yeah. simply from the standpoint of that they're trying to tie everything together with stuff like the comics and the uh, the novel now so mm-hmm. yeah um and then uh rand says uh, stamets and book bickering during a real life game of asteroids was like burnham arguing the relic while writing back uh writing on the back of an escape pod yes yeah it, it's just like a, a it, it, it's sort of uh this idea of well we need to take this scene of dialogue that is important in itself but we need to hyper dramatize it so let's just throw it into action uh so that you know the audience definitely does not forget that this is super important <laughs> oh and your dad says he was cleaning it and and accidentally sent that he's cleaning the keyboard <laughs> now the time <laughs> is this the time uh- <laughs> 
That's yeah. the biggest question for all of these big emotional things, right? Is like, is this the time to do that? And I'm not, here's the thing is like with the Stamets thing is like, I said that I found it a little bit cringy. I found the timing cringy. The fact that he admitted to book, like what was bothering him. Cool. Great. Fantastic. But it just, you might, you might've died. You yeah. might die. Yeah. Right, right, right. So, and then uh, finally tonight, before we say goodbye, Kim and Holly, uh, I'll throw it out to both of you. How do we feel about flamethrowers on the bridge of the Discovery? Because, yes, they do have rocks falling out of the ceiling, but now it's like a full-on KISS concert. And you've got flame pots, you've got fireworks that are synchronized and and pyro there's somebody somebody on that staff is literally that's their job yeah yeah so it it was quite a bit i don't want to be on a ship that blows up quite that elaborately um and there is a lot of elaborate pyrotechnics going on on that but what a cool job it must be right (laughs) right i (laughs) i thought it was cool (laughs) well See, there you go. That's where our Paramount Plus subscription money is going. It's going to keep that pyro team in check. And I, I am so glad that uh, that they feel confident about their work to uh, set off explosions. You're here. doing a great job at something that's probably unrealistic. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Kim, thank you so much for the call tonight. Holly, pleasure as always. And uh, we'll do it again in a couple of weeks. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Well, with that, Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Technical production on Mission Log Live is provided by the indelible Earl Green. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry podcasts. And if you would like to support Mission Log directly, give us a look at patreon.com slash mission log. Thank you to everyone who joined us live or later. Stay safe. Stay healthy. We look forward to talking with you next week. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.